This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. How is everyone this morning? Did you have a good breakfast this morning? Or are you a breakfast skipper? I won't get into all that. We're here to talk about soul winning. The series uh, uh, has been on soul winning 201, the next level. And all I mean by that is I know, and I've worked with a lot of people. Uh, I'll give you a little introduction for those who may be new to this today. My name is Pastor Mark Howard. I pastor in the Michigan Conference uh, at the Cedar Lake uh, Seventh Adventist Church. It's our academy church there. And I also am the director of our conferences evangelism training school. I've been doing that since 2009, and I've also worked with many of the training schools, Mission College of Evangelism, AFCO, uh, Life, Arise, and so I've had a lot of experience in evangelism. I still don't know everything. I say that for those who have been in this seminar, and probably more for those who haven't, that a lot of us wait to witness until we feel like we're going to be ready and know everything. That time will never come. Okay? I'm not there yet. If I waited till I knew everything, I'd never share my faith. But I do think that we can see better results than we often see. A lot of people get discouraged out of soul winning, and so you, some of you have been through seminars before and say, I've tried this and I've tried that and I haven't gotten anywhere. This year's going to be different. Amen? I believe the Holy Spirit is moving upon God's people like never before. I think our world is rapidly changing. I really believe that we are living in what could be and I need to emphasize that, what could be the last generation of Earth's history. There's a little book called Education. Are you familiar with that book? Ellen White says in that book, in the chapter of Life Work, the most noble calling for any uh, a person in this world is to give the gospel to the world in this generation. That was three generations ago. It could have happened, it didn't happen. So I'd love to say it's going to happen in this generation, but you know who it depends upon? You and me. And our willingness to say, Lord, here I am, send me. A willingness, as Brother Skeet talked about yesterday morning, to actually believe the Lord Jesus and believe that it's about him and not about us. When we get into witnessing, we worry a lot about what we can't do instead of thinking about what he can do. And my Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that what your Bible says? So if you go around saying, well, I don't, I don't think I can do that. Okay, that's okay, but don't say Christ can't do it. Amen? So with that little bit of introduction, I want to dive into this topic today, how to lead people to accept the truth. And let's pray first. I'm going to ask if you bow your heads with me as I kneel and ask God to bless our time. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for this preparation day. I thank you that the Sabbath is drawing near. I thank you for this uh, high Sabbath we're looking forward to here at GYC. We thank you so much for the privilege we have of coming together and learning more and preparing to be more effective in giving the gospel to the world and hastening the coming of Jesus. Father, may this be the last generation, that see the, the, the generation to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would direct our time, and I ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to uh, give you a heads up. When you head out today, you're going to get a little card from Audioverse Advance. Emmanuel Institute has worked with Audioverse to do an online training course uh, for the reason that I'm packing into this particular session. I usually take about four hours uh, class periods in our manual uh, classes, and I'm going to squeeze it into, try to squeeze what I can into one class session. I want to put a link on the screen. I do have slides today, which I didn't have the other day. Uh, just as soon as I get my clicker working. That's not wanting to go. So give me a second. I have another one. I'm going to show you a link on the screen where if you do have a, a, a smartphone or something like that, you can download the notes that I'm going to be referring to this morning. So let me just switch this out. I'm going to put that up. I use a little thing called the Google URL shortener. So instead of typing in 25 random digits and symbols, it should narrow it down to just a few that you would have to type in. Now you can type that in and you can get the notes that I'm referring to. Something else I want to refer to this morning, I have some of these here. Uh, Cameron DeVazier 
uh, doing a seminar down the hall, and myself and my brother, uh, Jim Howard, who's the personal ministries director in, in Michigan, and uh, our ministerial director, and a number of others have worked together to produce this discipleship handbook. How many of you have seen this? Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is one of the best resources we have going in the church. We developed it. I, we've had, I've had people say, oh, we have discipleship stuff. Look, I pastor full-time. I run evangelism school. last thing I need to do is write a book on the side. Uh, we wouldn't have done it if there was a resource that was like this. But this resource, Discipleship Handbook, is a, uh, a book that goes over the practical... What do I want to say? It's, a, it's designed especially and specifically for new members... And it reviews for them what the Adventist faith is about. In every particular, what they can expect in their church and church services, what kind of services, why we're organized as a church, what our organization looks like, what are the biblical principles for our prophetic understanding, the spirit of prophecy understanding, our lifestyle positions, everything. I mean, it's just, I can't say enough about it. I don't have enough time to say anything about it. But we have an Emanuel Institute booth in the exhibit hall. You can see us there, or if you're interested here, uh, I, these are $10, it comes with the book, and it comes with a mentor's guide because it's designed not just for a person to read, but for a person to mentor some new person into the faith. Now, we've had pastors that have used it for prayer meetings. We've had people use it for small groups. It's just a great resource. So if you want to look through it, I've got that. It's got a, uh, in addition, it's got a great uh, Bible and Spirit of Prophecy devotional reading plan in the back. I mean, it's just chock full of stuff. The Discipleship Handbook, if you haven't seen it, at least you want to get a look at it. You can see it in our manual booth. Uh, Pastor DeVazier has some in his room, and I've got some in here as well. Now, I want to jump into this top In the audio verse advance, you'll get a card on that on the, on the way out. So if you're interested in some more training, that's an option. Now, this is a question I have a lot of people ask. And, you know, I, I guess it should be obvious that it's not us who lead souls into the truth. The Lord alone can lead somebody into the truth, but he uses us, and I want to review that here this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is conviction, and this was eye-opening to me in my experience when I learned how conviction works, and you'll, if you haven't heard something on conviction or just a little bit, this will be eye-opening to you too in, in a potentially a number of ways. Decisions, when people make decisions, it's always a result of the working of the Holy Spirit on the heart, Always. You can't, if a, if, a, if a person isn't open to the working of the Holy Spirit, you're not getting a decision. That's just all there is to it. That's why prayer is so important in soul winning. That's why your connection with the Lord is so important in soul winning. And he'll connect you with those people that are open to his spirit and lead you to be able to make those, uh, lead them to decision. Now notice this statement from the book Steps to Christ, page 26. Notice it says, Christ is the source of what? Every right impulse. He is the only one that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for truth and purity. So you meet a person on the street who may say they're a Buddhist, they may say they're an atheist, whatever. If they have any desire for truth and purity, what's that an evidence of? The Spirit of God is working on their heart. Every desire for truth and purity, every conviction of our own sinfulness is an evidence that His Spirit is moving upon our hearts. So decisions are made as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit. What this means is it becomes essential for us to understand how the Holy Spirit works. Because here's how it works. In, in, in leading a person to Christ in any kind of soul-winning endeavor, our success comes in cooperating with the Holy Spirit's work. If you understand the working of the Holy Spirit, you'll be better able to cooperate and find more success in your soul-winning efforts. If you don't know how the Holy Spirit's working, you may find yourself fighting against the Holy Spirit, thinking you're doing God's work. And, and I'll highlight that a little bit more in a minute. It happens more than you would like to think. I'd like to op you to open your Bibles to John 16 with me. We're going to look at a little passage there that talks about the Holy Spirit's working. Now, there's a whole lot here, and obviously this isn't intended to be exhaustive. And even in, in this passage, I'm not breaking down the passage in, in every way that can be. I want to look at the Holy Spirit's working according to John 16, verse 8, what Jesus says here. Um, John 16, verse 8 says, And when he has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, the Comforter, when he has come, he will convict the world, King James Version says, convince the world of sin and of what? Righteousness and of judgment. Now, I just want to, I just want to focus on that. I want to break that down a little bit. Let's make it a little more simple. Sin 
We'll call, well, let's call sin what's wrong. Okay, not, not according to your idea of wrong or my idea of wrong, but God's idea of wrong. Okay, sin is what's wrong. The Holy Spirit convinces, convicts us of wrong. And I'm using that because on the flip side, he also convinces us or convicts us of righteousness. Now, what's the root word of righteousness? Right. So it's the Holy Spirit who gives us that conviction of right and wrong. That's how we know right from wrong. The Spirit of God comes and, and brings that conviction. Now, the Bible says he convicts us of sin and of righteousness, and then it says he convicts us of judgment. And, of course, that's our theme here at GYC this year. What do you think that has to do with convicting of judgment? What is a person thinking about when they're thinking about judgment? Okay, their relationship with God. Why are they thinking about their relationship? Because righteous, the idea of judgment brings to mind accountability. I'm going to have to answer for this. Okay, now think about it in this context. The Holy Spirit comes to you and me. He convicts us of sin, what's wrong. He convicts us of righteousness, what's right. And then he convicts us of judgment. In other words, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be accountability. Well, how does that play into the conviction of sin and righteousness? In the context of judgment, then, why is the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin and righteousness? Is he just going to say, hey, I just want you to know this. Just tuck it away somewhere, and I'm going to go off somewhere else. Is that why the Holy Spirit brings that to us? He wants us to make a choice for righteousness, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit's not just showing us, hey, here's right and wrong, just for some information's sake. I thought you might be bored. He's coming to us and trying to reveal to us what's right and what's wrong, and then in the context of judgment and accountability, he urges us, but never forces us toward the right. Okay? That's a major working of the Spirit of God, bringing conviction to the heart and to the mind. I want you to notice these statements here, a few of them together. Evangelism 283 says this, It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince the soul of its need of Christ. That's just another way of saying what we read in John 16.8. Review and Herald of June 1889, uh, uh, it says, uh, This it is the still, small voice of the Spirit of God that has power to convict and convert men's souls. And again, the Holy Spirit strives with who? Every man. It is the voice of who? It's the voice of God speaking to the soul. Now, how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Go to John chapter 8 with me, verse 9. John chapter 8, Now I'm going to read in the New King James Version, and if you're reading the King James, you'll be okay, or the New King James. If you're reading the NIV, you're not going to have this in your Bible. It's not in that manuscript, unfortunately. But you'll get the sense here. John chapter 8 and verse 9. This is where the woman was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. But I want you to notice what it says. When Jesus began stooping on the ground and writing the sins in the sand, John 8, verse 8, we'll start there. It says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it being convicted by what? Being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, etc., etc. So the Holy Spirit brings us the knowledge of sin and righteousness and judgment through the conscience. So when we're talking about the voice of conscience, who hears the voice of conscience? I'd almost want to say everybody hears the voice of conscience. Not totally true. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a minute. Have, I'm not, I shouldn't ask. I was about to ask a question I shouldn't. Sometimes, there's some questions you shouldn't ask the, the, the congregation. If you've ever said, so I'm asking if you've ever heard somebody say something along these lines, you know, I know such and such, you know, I know Spirit of Prophecy says this, I read this in the Bible, but I'm personally not convicted on that. You ever hear that kind of talk? Okay, now I want, what I want to make the point of is this, the Holy Spirit speaks through the conscience, and so people, we comfort ourselves sometimes and say, well, I've heard it, but I'm not convicted on that, and because my conscience isn't bothering me, that's okay. I want you to understand that the Bible speaks of different consciences. Uh, in fact, look at this statement before I read that. Uh, uh, God's Amazing Grace 202 says, Conscience is the voice of God. Notice the previous statement. The Holy Spirit strives with every man as the voice of God speaking to the soul. Here it says, Conscience is the voice of God, heard amid the conflict of human passions. When it is resisted, the Spirit of God is grieved. What happens when the Spirit of God is grieved? Notice, the Bible speaks of a weak conscience, a defiled conscience, speaks of good consciences, pure, conscience, pure consciences, but also speaks of seared consciences. And in fact, when Paul talks about the conscience that is seared, he talks about being seared by a hot iron. And if you've ever seen somebody with a severe burn, when the flesh is seared, what does it do to the nerve endings? 
It deadens them. And so what the apostle's saying is this. There are things we can do, there are choices we can make that will deaden our conscience so that when it should be awakened, when the word of God should convict us, we say, you know, I'm not really convicted on that. And all I'm really saying is my conscience isn't sensitive anymore. Because when the word of God says something, it should convict us. There's no, oh, the word of God says it, but it's not my time right now. No, you just read it, it's your time. And so sometimes we comfort ourselves, and I just want to throw that out there that, look, the conscience can be affected by you resisting the Spirit of God. That's ultimately what the unpardonable sin is, is a person just continues to resist and resist. Which makes it, a, uh, the reason I'm sharing this is I want you to understand how important it is to understand the working of the Holy Spirit and not to resist the working of the Holy Spirit. And when you're laboring with somebody else and they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you what happens. And I'm going to tell you why a lot of people don't get as many decisions in soul winning. Because when you get to a certain point where the person you're studying with is under conviction, you don't want to be the bad guy. And so you back off and you see them under conviction and you let them sear their own conscience, perhaps to their soul's ruin. Now the Holy Spirit is working on every person, but in order for that working to become effective, the individual needs to make a choice. So you can come here to GYC, you can hear all kinds of great sermons and presentations. It's not going to do a lick of good for you if you don't make a choice about it. Holy Spirit won't force himself on you. So you can be exposed to things. Same with the people you're studying with. So when you're studying with somebody, your greatest desire, listen, my greatest desire is that whether I'm preaching to somebody or studying the Bible, is that they will make a decision for Christ. I can't do anything in their life. I use the feeble talents God's given me and hope that the person who is listening will respond to the Spirit of God and make a choice because once a person chooses in favor of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God can come into their life and do what he otherwise couldn't do. While the Holy Spirit can affect a person's life, he can't change a person's life without their consent. Notice these powerful statements. Our high calling, page 52, says, it is the Spirit that convinces of sin, and notice, with the what? Consent of the human being expels sin from the heart. I love this statement. I want you to understand what it's saying. There's nothing here that says, it doesn't say the Spirit of God convicts and then with the consent of the human being, he works real hard to expel sin from the heart. He tries his best to expel sin from the heart. No, he expels sin from the heart. The Spirit of God doesn't have a hard time getting rid of sin unless you say no. With our consent, it's, it, 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 the, the limits are, are, there are no limits with the Holy Spirit of God. Notice the next statement. Christ's Object Lessons, page 411 says, the Spirit works upon man's heart according to his desire, not spirit's desire, but your desire, man's desire, and consent in planting in him a new nature. How many of you would like a new nature? You've got to consent. You've got to consent. Consent sounds easy until the Holy Spirit points out something in your life and says, well, you've got to consent to let go of that thing. Oh, I'm not sure about that. The spirit says, if you let it go, I'll put a whole new nature in you. So with the person you're studying with, and you'll find, look, everybody follows some of the Bible some of the time. Hey, you're going to be studying with people. There are people. I know Adventists who go to church every week and go through the motions, but they hold on to one little thing, and that one little thing keeps you from being a Christian. Because Christianity starts where your will and Christ's will conflict. And until you let go, you're not a Christian. You're still in charge. And so it is with the person you're studying with. So you can study along through lessons, and everybody's in a different place. So I don't know which lesson it's going to be that brings the conviction. And then you'll notice, I was talking to a young lady who came in here. She, we were talking after one of the presentations yesterday. And she said, I'm studying. I've been studying with this lady in the nursing home she works in. And she said, and she just, she just dropped off. And I want to get the studies going again. I said, what do you mean she dropped off? I knew it was going on right away when I heard it. Because I've, had it, I've experienced it 100 times with myself and training other people. To, a person gets to a point in that study where they're convicted and they back off. They want to avoid, because what happens is this, while the Holy Spirit's doing all this convicting, people don't see the Holy Spirit. Who do they see? If you're the one doing the studying, they see you. And guess what? You become the bad guy. I don't know why I'm comfortable. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. You guys are always around, because you're coming around and studying this thing with me. So they're looking at you, and they're thinking, this person makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, because you're bringing the Word of God, and you've gotten to a point where now the Spirit of God is crossing their path. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and we want to know how to work through that to have the most positive results. So 
The Holy Spirit works, but we've got to consent. This is why Ellen White says this in Steps to Christ, one of the most powerful statements you'll read. Steps to Christ 47, 48 says, What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the power, the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything, everything depends on the right action of the will. Through the right exercise of the will, an entire change may be made in your life. A what kind of change? An entire change. You know, some of you came here to GYC and you're looking for an entire change. I just want to assure you, the Holy Spirit of God is ready to give you that entire change. You've got to choose him, and you don't just choose him today, you choose him every day. And when you're leading other souls to Christ, you're teaching them to choose him every day. So to summarize what I've said, I just want to give a brief summary. The Holy Spirit, and this is in the notes as well, the Holy Spirit presents before the human mind God's idea of right and wrong, along with the results of each respective choice. Then he moves upon the heart to choose the right way. When we learn to recognize conviction, we will no longer find ourselves trying to urge an unwilling person to decide for Christ. But we'll instead be uniting with the Holy Spirit's working already in progress. Conviction is the work of God, and we must work in cooperation with him. However, if we do not understand how the Spirit works, we may find ourselves working against him. Let me give you some examples of that. Let's, I want to throw up on the... Well, before I do this, let's go to John chapter... Let's go to John chapter 3. Where Nicodemus comes and visits Jesus by night. Jesus gives us a, 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 a passage here that is very important when we're talking about the working of the Holy Spirit. Especially because we can't see the Holy Spirit. So if, we're, if, if our success is going to come working where the Spirit's working, that'd be great, but where is he working? How do I know where he's working? How can I identify that? Well, can we identify that? John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus has just had this uh, brief uh, conversation with Nicodemus, told him he must be born again if he's going to enter the kingdom of God, born of water and the Spirit's. And then he says this in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born, what? Of the Spirit. So Jesus here is giving an illustration to help Nicodemus understand the working of the Holy Spirit. He says it's kind of like the wind. Now you can't see the wind. It blows this way and that way, but you know the wind is blowing because why? You can feel the effects of the wind. You can feel it on your skin. You can see the leaves and the trees, right? And Jesus said this is exactly how it is with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? And because of that, and I've not shared the statement in this handout just for brevity's sake, but Ellen White in Desire of Ages talks about when Jesus would preach, and preachers do this, so I'm going to clue you in in case you hadn't heard it, his eye would sweep over the congregation and he would look at the responses. And so you see the people who are engaged. You see the people taking notes. You see the people playing whatever Minecraft or whatever else they're playing. You see the people, and your eye sweeps over and you're looking for those who are responding positively to the Holy Spirit or even negatively. And what do I mean by that? I want you to notice and you might not be able to read this real well in the back, but I'll go through some of these. These are evidences of conviction. These are just some examples of the way people... Now listen, let me put it this way. When the Spirit of God brings conviction to a person, a person will respond to conviction. Everybody responds to conviction, but everybody responds in a different way. Everybody has a different way of responding. Now let me give you... I'm going to start on the positive side, because we all like being positive. This is when a person hears the, Holy, or, 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 hears the voice of the Holy Spirit, feels the prompting and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and, and their answer to the Holy Spirit is yes to whatever the Holy Spirit is, is telling them. They're open to following the conviction. And so what you'll see is a person will express joy because they've heard the truth. Uh, they'll express repentance, sorrow for their sin. Personal application, they'll start to apply the truth to themselves instead of, you know, one thing a, a preacher always hears, well, often hears is, boy, pastor, I wish so-and-so could have been here today to hear that sermon. They really needed it. And they probably did. But so did we all, huh? 
Personal application they'll make. Uh, can't stay away. A person who didn't, wasn't hardly ever coming to church or coming to an evangelistic meeting or something, they, they come and the Holy Spirit grabs hold of their heart and all of a sudden they're there all the time. They come early. They come to Sabbath school, believe it or not. And you see these changes. These are all positive evidences. Excitement and friendliness and lifestyle changes, making restitution, making wrongs that they've had in their lives right with other people. All of those things are positive responses. And those are the responses we love to look for. We love it when, we, when we're witnessing to somebody and we see this genuineness and this openness to follow the truth. And every time we share a lesson with them and say, is it your decision to follow it? Absolutely. And we're like, amen. But that's not the only side to the equation here. And this was the eye-opener for me. I never realized that there were negative responses to the Holy Spirit that are still, and don't miss what I'm going to say, they're still evidences of conviction. That is, a person is responding, still responding to the Holy Spirit, just not responding positively. And mark my words here, any response to the Holy Spirit is an open door to a decision. Not just the positive ones. So, for example, on the negative side, you have sorrow. A person hears the truth, and they're sad about it because they're counting the cost, right? Or they start to make justifications of why it's not so bad that they do what they do. After all, a bunch of other people, there are even people in your church who do, et cetera, et cetera. They make objections. They give reasons why they don't need to follow whatever you're sharing with them. Or how many of you have seen some of these? If you're honest, you'll say, yeah, I've seen them in my own life. Because we do it. We do it. We all have times when we respond positively and negatively. Everybody responds to the working of the Holy Spirit. Objections are made. Avoidance. This is a big one. Avoidance. Perhaps you've studied with somebody. I mean, we have this happen a lot. Somebody studied. Maybe it's a family member who comes and says, you're studying with those guys? Oh, those Adventists are going to teach you this, that, and the other. And you come back to the house for the next study, and you have a bag on the door with all the books and literature you've ever given and said, don't ever come back. Has anybody had that happen? We have that happen a lot with Emmanuel students, sending students out for Bible studies. I'm not saying it. I don't want to give the impression that everybody does that. But people will avoid, maybe it was a friend at work and you started talking about spiritual things and next thing you know, you used to always see them at the water cooler and now every time you see them in the office and they see you, they're kind of like this. And they're going around the other, the other way. They're avoiding you. Now they don't know why. They think it's something, it's you, somehow you make them uncomfortable, but you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should know why. There's conviction there. They're responding negatively. Now, that's not always, I don't, I got to be careful here. The next one is anger. People can get angry because the Spirit of God is convicting them. Now, the, the danger is when we say, well, they're mad, they're just mad because they're under conviction. No, you might have been rude to them. So it's not always that they're under conviction. It could be a, an issue of, of, of you being rude, but it also could be an issue of the working of the Holy Spirit. Irritability, rationalization, resistance, restlessness, all of these things are evidences of the working of the Spirit. So let me give you a couple Bible examples, and I'm not going to look them up for sake of time. Let's talk about the rich young ruler for a minute. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him what he needs to do to enter into life, and Jesus said, does anybody remember what Jesus said to him? First thing he said to him, keep the commandments. What a legalist, right? I mean, it's, it's incredible to me. Jesus said, there is never anywhere in that whole entire account where Jesus said, hey, hold on a minute. I was really just, to keep the commandments thing, I know it was over the top, really just, have a, just believe in my grace. He never, he never does that. Jesus himself, he says, keep the commandments. Oh, which ones? Jesus lists off a few. I've done all those. Oh, good. Here's what you need to do. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven and then come and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad because he had great possessions. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say the wrong thing to him? Why did he go away sad? Because he wasn't willing to follow. Now let me make it practical. You bring a friend to church. You have been praying and, and working with this person and finally, friend, brother, sister, somebody you love and care for and you bring them to church and you're excited about it. They finally come to church. Hope nobody says something wrong. Lo and behold, the pastor gets up and preaches a sermon and your loved one, your dear friend, is in tears. And, oh, I, can't, I feel so terrible. I feel so, I feel like such a failure. And you say, I don't know what happened. 
You know, pastor usually preaches, I'm going to talk to him about this. I don't know why he did that today. I'm going to tell you that happens more often than we would like to think. And you know what we do when we do that? We just took the side of the devil to secure that person's destruction. And we think we're being not. You read, look up in Ellen White's writings and look up this in term, these terms, unsanctified sympathizers. Ellen White says because of unsanctified sympathizers, in nine cases out of ten, there are people who could have been one to Christ, but some well-meaning church member comes and says, I don't know, you, know, oh, you, sh you should never feel bad. I've had people tell me this. You should never feel get bad if it's the true gospel being preached. What are you talking about? Go tell Jesus that. Jesus, let me, come here a minute. The rich young ruler thing, you really messed that up. No. This is, it's conviction. When a person is faced with conviction, and we all do it, you can be positive or you can respond negatively, just depending whether you want to do or not do what the Spirit is convicting you to do. And you've got to be able to identify. If you can't identify which is which, you might find yourself fighting on the wrong side. So you can see it's very important to be able to discern where the Spirit of God is working. And if a person is upset, if you are able to see, if your friend were, say, same scenario, I just feel like such a failure. Hey, listen, it's not that you're a failure. Look, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What the pastor was trying to point out, what the Bible was trying to point out in that message or whatever it was, was that we can't do anything of ourselves. We need Christ because we're sinners. But he's more than willing to say, in other words, you can come alongside the message and encourage them in the truth. But a lot of times our immediate reaction is, well, no, I'm smarter than the pastor. I'm going to straighten this out because he, I don't know what got into him. And we fight on the devil's side. Notice, notice a couple statements here on response to conviction. In fact, look at this statement in Desire of Ages 520. Regarding the rich young ruler, to give up his earthly treasure that was seen. For the heavenly treasure that was unseen was too great a risk. He refused the offer of eternal life and went away, and ever after the world was to receive his worship. That was his last call. We find the same thing with Felix. Now look at Felix. You go to the example of Felix, the governor, the Roman governor, right? And the Apostle Paul, the Bible says, reasons with him about righteousness and judgment and temperance and judgment to come. And you remember what Felix said to Paul? No, that was Agrippa. Wrong guy, close, within a couple chapters. Felix, it was Felix who said, go away. You remember that? Go away for now and I'll call you again when I have a convenient season. Now this, I just read this and this floored me. Because, uh, well, let me show you this first. Ellen White makes this, this point in the book Acts of the Apostles. A ray of light from heaven had been permitted to shine upon Felix when Paul reasoned with him concerning righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. That was his heaven-sent opportunity to see and forsake his sins. But he said to the messenger of God, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He had slighted his last offer of mercy. Never was he to receive another call from God. What I had forgotten about, as you read on in the chapter, it says for two more years he visited with Paul often, the Bible says. You can seal your heart against the ability to respond to the Spirit of God and not even realize it. It should be going on. It's never, I just, I want to tell you, it's never safe for you or anybody to play around with conviction and say, I'll wait till tomorrow. When the Spirit of God calls you now, it's now. Now is the time. And so it is with the people, people that you're working with or I'm working with and seeking to lead them to decision. Notice this statement here. It is the work of who? The Holy Spirit to convince the soul of its need of Christ. I mean, I train in evangelism. I hear this all the time. Pastor, why are you telling us about this? That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. You're right. You're right. Now notice what it goes on to say. Let's see how the Holy Spirit chooses to do his job. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince the soul of its need of Christ. Many are convicted of sin and feel their need of a sin-pardoning Savior, but they are merely dissatisfied with their pursuits and aims, and if there is not a decided application of the truth to their hearts, if words are not... Let me ask you this, who's speaking the words? Hmm, that's you, that's me. In other words, the Spirit, it is the Spirit's work, and you know what he says? I want to use you. Jesus said, you go and tarry in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 1, and the Spirit of God will come upon you, and then you'll be witnesses unto me. The Spirit uses us to speak those words. 
If words are not spoken at the right moment, calling for decision from the weight of evidence already presented, the convicted ones pass on without identifying themselves with Christ, the golden opportunity passes, and they go farther and farther away from the truth, farther away from Jesus, and never take their stand on the Lord's side. The people should be urged to decide just now to be on the Lord's side. Now that's in an ultimate sense. That doesn't mean every conversation you have, a person decides now or never. It's just trying to help us to understand that when people come under conviction of something, let me put it this way. Have you ever felt that something you were doing was wrong, but you did it anyway? Don't raise your hand. Something you're doing is wrong, but you went ahead and did it anyway, and then you kept doing it, and sometime later, maybe six months later, and you're doing it now on a regular basis, and you say, you know, I don't know, I used to feel like that was so wrong. In fact, you might fall in with other Christian friends and say, yeah, I remember when we used to think that was wrong. We were so, we were so narrow-minded. Have you ever done that? Maybe listen to a certain song, you say, that song's bad, and then afterwards you're like, oh, I think I was just a little bit too strict. I don't think it's so bad. You know what just happened? You became deadened to the conviction of the Spirit of God. There's a window of opportunity when the Spirit brings conviction, where a person is going to make that decision, and they make a, you make a decision. You can't decide not to decide, because that's a decision. They're going to all wait until later. No, guess what? You just decided to wait till later. You just decided to say, no, right now, Holy Spirit, come back later. And it doesn't work that way. The opportunity passes. So words need to be spoken. And words are spoken by you and me as we're leading people and working with people. Notice this statement. The secret of our success and power as a people advocating advanced truth will be found in making direct what? Personal appeals to those who are interested having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. I'm going to tell you, if you miss everything else in this seminar, and, and this goes with getting Bible studies too, we talked about it the other day. The reason you have not, James says, is because you ask not. The reason we don't see more decisions is we're afraid to ask for them. We don't want to confront somebody. We're afraid they might get mad at us. We won't make direct personal appeals. Folks, if we really understood the nature of sin and where our loved ones might be heading, it would pour out of our hearts and, and they would sense our desire for the soul. You couldn't keep silent. I see parents here. Look, if it was your own child and their life was in danger, I don't care how offended they might be, you would do everything you could to save them. But we study with people and say, well, you know, they might get upset. Yeah, they might, but I'll tell you what. If, they, if you don't say anything then by God's grace, when you make it inside the city and you've got those transparent walls and you see through the walls those people that you could have witnessed to but you were afraid to upset them, then you're going to be upset. Now is the time that we have opportunity for the Spirit to work through us. We've got to be willing to make these direct personal appeals, appealing to people not just about everyday, appealing to people about spiritual decisions. So let's talk about those spiritual decisions here. People make decisions a certain way. There are three counselors to the will, and what that means is there are three things that everybody consults when they're making a choice. I'm not just talking about spiritual choices. I'm talking about any choice. If you're going to buy, and I'll use the example of buying a car, okay? You're going to buy a car. You're going to make, you're going to, you're going to evaluate some things. There are three counselors to the will. Reason, that is what's reasonable. If you're going to make a choice, you've got to evaluate whether it makes sense to you. I'm, I'm going to tell you, there are people that make unreasonable choices, <laughs> But in their mind, it has to be reasonable. You're not going to make a choice if you can't convince yourself somehow it's, it's reasonable. That's, that's got to be in your decision-making process. It's got to be reasonable. Conscience is the other counselor of the will. What is right? If it feels like it's wrong to you, in a moral sense, whatever uh, uh, that may be, because there are non-Christians who still have a idea of their, their idea of right and wrong. And if it's, a go, if it's wrong to them, they're not going to do it, unless they somehow how can, can make it seem right to them. A person, if it doesn't seem reasonable to a person, if it doesn't seem right to a person, they're not making a decision. And finally, ideals. That is what's beneficial or what's best. Everybody consults these three counselors to the will. And I'll use the example of buying a car. So we're going to buy a car. We're going to buy a car together, okay? What are we looking for? What do you want in a car? Tell me the thing you're going to be looking for when you're looking for a car. Yellow. Oh, you want a yellow car, okay. A yellow car. Economy. You want to make sure... Well, and you could talk about you could fuel economy, and is it expensive to repair? Um, okay, safety. 
Economy, safety, uh, uh, yellow, what else? What do you want in a car? Oh, you want a Mazda. This is a Mazda girl right over here. Okay, what else do you want in a car? Oh, you want leather seats. I live in Michigan, heated, heated leather seats. Got to have that. Uh, Houston doesn't need it, but Michigan needs it. Okay, so let's just take the few things that we brought up there. Everything that you're going to put up in that decision-making process is going to correspond to one of these. So let's talk about yellow. I want a yellow car. Where is that on our list? There's really ideals. Ideals is about what's, what I like. When I say what's best, it's what I like. Okay? Uh, what about fuel economy? Okay, that's reasonable. Could it be conscience from a standpoint if you want to be a good steward of your money as a Christian, whatever, and you want, okay? Uh, uh, what's, what, what else do we have? Uh, uh, Mazda. Now, I don't know why she said Mazda, but let's just talk about reliability. You say, oh, I like Mazdas. Mazdas tend to be reliable cars or whatever else. Where's that going to fall on our list? Well, about the reasonability there, right? Um, if we would have gone long enough, somebody here would have said horsepower, right? And that would have been more ideals, unless you feel like it's reasonable for you to have a lot more power in the car, okay? Uh, leather. What about the leather seats? Where's that? Ideals, okay? So, so everything that you are going, all those things, you're going, they're going through your mind, but you, you've got to, all these have to answer in the positive. And let me give you an example, this example. Uh, my brother in the yellow over here, this might be close, so I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but I, there was a guy near where, when I lived in uh, my last district, on the main highway, there was a guy named Gene, he called himself Gene the Pumpkin Man, Gene Rose, Gene the Pumpkin Man. And everything out in front of his head, he had a house with, it was, a, it was beige siding with orange shutters, Orange, basketball orange, and he had a, he drove a Cadillac. It was a big orange Cadillac. I'm not talking about like a metallic rust that could be kind of cool. I'm talking about gloss, basketball orange. So I'm driving by one day, and I see that car with a for sale sign in the window. And my first thought was, how cheap would that hot car have to be for me to buy it? Like, what would it have to, because I, for me, forget about it, an orange car. So that car could have everything else I want in it. But if it isn't what I like, I'm not going to go for it, unless something else way outbalances it. And, and really what that means is, th th what do you think the conclusion was? How, how cheap would it have to be for me to buy it? Cheap enough to repaint it. You got it right there. Okay, so, so here's the point that I want to make when it comes to making spiritual decisions. When people make spiritual decisions, they can be convinced that something is reasonable and that it's right, and still not make the decision. And we fall at this all the time. We're studying with somebody. I'm giving them the lessons. They see it's from the Bible. It's reasonable. It's right. And they're still not making a decision. You know why? Because it's not best for them. Because when, when they're convicted of the fact that it's true, it's right, it's reasonable, the devil comes in and says, but this is going to wreck your life. And I'm going to tell you that, let me, let me move from this into our next slide, and, and we'll try to put some pieces together here. These counselors of the will affect the steps of our decision process like this. These are the steps of the decision process, or how the will is influenced. First, a person has to receive information. And information, how many of you read the book uh, um, Persuasion by Mark Finley? Somebody said they're reprinting the book, and it's been out of print for a long time, but it's, it's, it's a little book, it's a great book on decisions. He brings this up in his book, Information Leads to Conviction. Understand it this way. A person can't be convicted about what they don't know. If a person hears truth, I see it all the time. If I do a seminar, a Bible study, when a person hears truth, there's going to be conviction there. There's going to be conviction there. Information leads to conviction. Conviction, then, must be enhanced by desire. That is, well, let's go with our counselors of the will. When it comes to information, which one of those counselors, reason or conscience or ideals, best connects with information? Reason, right? The reasonable, and we, we determine whether something's reasonable by getting the information about it, right? What about whether it's right or wrong? Which does it, where's that come in here? Conviction, right? Conscience corresponds with conviction. And then ideals, what's best, what's that correspond with? Desire. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Anybody who's going to make a decision has to get some information. Information brings the conviction. But a person can have all the information and conviction in the world and not act because there's no desire to act. 
Because the devil's there saying, oh, this is going to wreck your life, okay? Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is that 99 times out of 100, what do you think we do when we're studying with somebody and they're not making a decision? So I'm studying the Sabbath. I've gone through my lesson. They're just not doing anything. What happens? Yeah, and you know how I know that? Because I'm a pastor. And my members come and say, Pastor, I gave them the study and they're not acting. Can you give me another text? Oh, yeah, another text is going to do it. Here, let me give you the silver bullet text that I never give anybody. This one works every time. There's no such thing as that. They're not, and, and let me make this point, and don't miss this point, okay? The reason people don't act is almost never an information um, issue, but an application issue. It's not the information. Look, they wouldn't even be convicted if it wasn't for information. If you see a person under conviction, you know they have adequate information to be convicted. If they're convicted, they have enough information. That doesn't mean they can't use more information, but that's not why they're not making their decision. The problem is application. They're, now they're convicted, they're thinking about the Sabbath, and they're thinking about what's going to happen if I keep the Sabbath. Well, I could endanger my job. My wife could leave me. My kids could hate me. I, my family will starve. All the kinds of things the devil is telling them, this is going to wreck your life. Okay? But you're, my friends are going to think I'm crazy. My Christian friends are going to think I joined a cult. Oh, I see it. I know it's true, but I can't bear. That's what's happening. And so here's what happens. Here's what we do. We say, well, I need to lead them to a decision, so I'm going to give them more text and more text and more text and more text, and nothing ever happens. And we scratch our head and wonder, and the reason is because we never really touched on the issue. There's a deeper issue besides the information, and I'm going to tell you something. People won't tell you what that issue is. There is a, we have a, we have a built-in um, selfish nature preservation system. And people won't just out and say, well, you know, the reason I'm really not deciding is because I'm afraid I'll lose my job. We had a lady that we were working with in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We had done an evangelistic series. She came out, and you'll see this happen in Bible studies and in, in a personal conversation, but especially Bible studies, evangelistic meetings. She came out night after night, thrilled about it, everything. It was, oh, she was glowing every night, and then we hit the Sabbath. She came one more night, and then pew, she's gone. Now, I don't know what's going on there, for sure, but I can do a little detective work and figure, you know, it's not, probably not coincidence that she left shortly after the Sabbath presentation. So we went to visit her, and we didn't catch her home until several nights. We were like in the last couple nights of the meeting, and I took two of my students with me. We went into her home. Her name was Marsha. We sat down, and, oh, we got to the door and said, hey, Marsha, we're visiting. Oh, hey, it's you guys. Come on in. She was all bubbly and happy and everything else. Oh, we've missed you at the evangelistic meeting. Yeah, I know. Things have gotten so busy. I, oh, you know, I just I haven't been able to make it back. Well, that's fine. You know, she comes in. We invites us in. We sit down in her living room. And all the while, I'm thinking to myself, I've got to find out what it is that's holding her back. Was there an issue there with the Sabbath? Now, I'm not going to, I could have point blank said, so, you got a problem with the Sabbath? <laughs> no, you're laughing. I'm, I'm glad you're laughing because you're saying that probably wouldn't be a good idea, and you're right. Even though I have that hunch, I want her to tell me. But at the same time, I'm going to steer the conversation because I've got an idea. Is this the issue? Okay? So we're talking there. And uh, Marsha, was there anything that you, did, you had a question on in the event? No, everything was so clear, it was so great, and then we're going chatting about something, and she'd go off on something else, and so after a few minutes, I'd bring it back again with a, so are you sure there was nothing, was there anything new that, that you learned, or anything that, no, it was, I mean, I just, it was so, and everything was glowing, everything was great, it was fantastic, I think three times I did that, 45 minutes into the visit, right, we're chatting, and I've asked her three times now, in a different way, if there's something that bothered her, not at all. So now, after 45 minutes of conversation, I said, Marsha, let me ask you, what did you think about that Sabbath presentation? You know, now that you mention it, <laughs> I'm 45 minutes there. I could have been five hours there. She's not going to bring it up because most people, just like you, don't like confrontation. They don't want to have to discuss it. They can't read that the Holy Spirit's wrestling with them, and so they're going through and they're trying to avoid getting to that issue and so we talked about the sabbath a little bit and it was more application things for her keeping the sabbath what it's going to cost and that kind of thing and i'm going to tell you there are times you study with people 
and I need to make this point, you're never going to gain a decision if you're not willing to lose one. And that's, that's the biggest problem. We're too often we're afraid we're going to lose it. You'll never gain any decisions if you're not willing to lose a decision. You've got to press people sometimes, like Jesus did the rich young ruler. He went away sorrowful, but Jesus had to press him. He had to bring the truth to the forefront. He did the same thing with the woman at the well, but the woman at the well responded first negatively and then positively, if you go back and read the story. You've got to be willing to make the direct personal appeal. The Spirit of God will work through that. That's why I'm telling you, I could tell you technique all day long, but it's different for every person. The secret of our success is making direct personal appeals. It's because we're too afraid to do it. We're too, and the reality is because we're too selfish. We're too worried about us. That's the reality. Go into the, the, the book Prophets and Kings and read the chapter, The Voice of Stern Rebuke. Powerful chapter. And Ellen White says, it's not out of love for our neighbor that we smooth down the message. It's our love for ease. She says, in Desire of Ages, Jesus never purchased peace by compromise. He loved people too much to be quiet about their sins. And we got a false idea of love today. When you love somebody, it'll lead you. In fact, I had a statement, I think it's in the notes, that, that it will lead us to make those direct personal appeals to people and trust in the Lord to use it. And so uh, Mark Finley tells a story of a situation he went into, and I'll have to wrap up with this. We're running fast out of time, but this will be helpful to you. Um, he was doing a, a, a field school, and so you're doing an evangelistic series, and much like I had with my students, they had students there. It was with the North American uh, uh, School of Evangelism, Maddie, um, I believe, back. They were doing a meeting. I think it was in the Chicago area. I don't remember. But he had a couple who'd been coming to church. They'd been coming to church for a year. And so uh, he went to visit them, and he had evidently had contact with them before. He went there. He took two of the students with him. And they hadn't become members yet. And so he came in, they sat down, they began to chat a little bit. And in the course of the conversation, he said, so have you guys, you know, you've been coming to church for a while. Have you ever thought about becoming members? And he said, the husband looked at him, he said, you know, I just don't know about the Sabbath. I mean, you guys make this big deal about the Sabbath. And doesn't the Bible say, don't let anybody judge you in regard to the Sabbath day? Well, that's from Colossians chapter 2. And Anybody who has worked through a situation like that, if we had time and we went through a, some of our, doc, in fact, we're working with, with, oh, we got resources. Man, I wish I had time to tell you about the resources we're developing. We're developing a Bible study handbook for lay members who give Bible studies to give an overview of the doctrine, how to present it, how to answer the tough questions and all that. It's going to be a great resource that we're working on. It's a follow-up to the handbook here. But any evangelist knows how, where to, what to do with Colossians 2. And he, immediately he said the two young guys with him, they're like, oh, they're whipping their Bibles open to Colossians 2. And he said he almost had, he, he has to kind of, okay, hold, whoa, whoa, whoa boys, you know, hold, down, hold on a little bit. Let's just find out where this is going. So, you know, they're ready to answer it. But he, here's the problem. And let me ask you, why might it not be about the Sabbath? Yeah, you're in there. Why? I told you a little bit of the scenario, and they're like, the guy brings up the reason he hasn't joined the church is he's got questions about the Sabbath. Why might you think that he's not being straightforward with you about that? Because he's been coming to church for a year on the Sabbath. It's not likely a Sabbath issue when you've been coming to church for a year on the Sabbath. Now, I should have told you this before, but there's something called the upper layer approach when it comes to decisions, and that simply says this. The upper layer, the first answer people give you as to why they're not doing something is almost never the answer. It's getting you off somewhere. And so he recognized that, that this guy, he might, you know, maybe it's the real issue, but he wasn't, it didn't sound like it because they've been coming to church. So he, he, you know, the guys are going to Colossians 2, he gives them the, you know, checks them and he says, let, he says, okay, I understand there may be some Sabbath questions, but let me ask you this. Is there something else, maybe some, something you've been struggling with that's holding you back. And he said, as soon as he said that, the guy hangs his head like this. And his wife looks over at her husband and she takes his hand and she looks at Mark Finley and she says, we've been smoking and we can't quit. Now I want you to think about that. What was the real issue? It was their smoking problem. It had nothing to do with the Sabbath. Where were those young guys going to go? They're going to go to Colossians 2. And then you know what that person's going to do, that couple's going to do? They're going to throw out, what about Romans 14? Doesn't it say one man regards one day above another, another man regards every day? Oh, let's go to Romans 14. Uh, well, what about this? How do we know which day the Sabbath is on? They're going to throw in everything. And what are these guys going to do? Information, 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 information. Incidentally, the wrong information because it's not even the issue. 
The issue is an application issue, and not this one didn't even have to do with the Sabbath. The person was giving a whole different response than where the conviction really was. And so those guys could have given all the information in the world, and they still wouldn't have gotten a decision. That's where many of us find ourselves, and that's why we're not finding the success in leading people to decisions, because we're not recognizing where the Holy Spirit's working and the decision the person needs to make. And again, I wish I could give you a silver bullet for how to get to There are some steps to getting to that that I don't have time to cover everything in this uh, particular seminar because we're out of time. But I'll tell you the Spirit of God. Before I ever knew any of this, I got decisions. And I don't know how I did it except for the Spirit of God did it. If you love people and you're willing to talk to them straightly and, and kindly, you know, understand, about spiritual decisions, if you're willing to ask the questions and, and risk offending and risk losing the decision to ask them about their spiritual life and what things the spirit of god will illuminate your mind and you'll see where their real struggle is and when you find where real struggle is you can lead them to a decision and i want to tell you i want to finish with this one of the key ways to do that is they've got the information they've got the the conviction but the desire needs to be enhanced when you see a person struggling, you want to give them encouragement that the best benefit... See, the devil's telling them the worst thing they could do is follow Christ. It's going to wreck their life. You want to encourage them that the best thing they can do is follow Christ. And one of the best ways to do that was with Scripture. And there's some simple Scriptures like Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. Okay? So, oh, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my... Hey, you seek God first, he'll take care of your needs. One of my favorites is Psalm 37.25, where King David says... I was young and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. God will take care of you. There's so many powerful passages that can help a person to see that, look, your decision for God is going to be the best decision you can make. You're the, the devil's already in one ear. The Lord wants to use you in the other ear to encourage that person in committing their life and following Christ. But it's going to be at a risk, just like with the rich young ruler. They may say no. They may walk away, but let me tell you this. A person may walk away today and come back tomorrow. Your, your role always in reaching out to souls is to go where Jesus tells you to go and say what Jesus tells you to say and leave the results with him. And if you do that and if you're faithful to apply yourself and understand how you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit, don't work against him. The Lord Jesus will help you to lead people to make those spiritual decisions. But don't forget that our success lies in being able to make those direct personal appeals. Ask a person. Be willing to ask them, how is it with God? How is it, what you, how, are, how is your, your, what are your, you know, in the context of the Bible study, what decisions are they making? Ask them if they're making those decisions. Ask if they're following through with those. Um, don't be afraid to do it. Pray that the Lord will help you to do it right. And then believe that he will. And the Lord Jesus, let me tell you this. The, when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and think about that. He didn't, when he's talking about the harvest, if you've got, you got a harvest that's plentiful and a guy comes out with a rototiller, guess what? Wrong guy. I don't need a rototiller. I need people who know how to harvest. Jesus is looking for people not just to get out in the, in the field and witness. He wants people who know how to harvest, how to lead people to decision. People aren't afraid to make those direct personal appeals. If Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few and you say, Lord, here I am, I'll be a laborer, don't think he's going to let you down in the harvest field. He will use you to bring the harvest because you're willingness to go. How many of you believe that? How many want to say, Lord, here I am, send me? Amen. Uh, I, I'm a, I apologize for there's things I couldn't cover today, kind of crashed through it, but you will have the, the, the audioverse cards. You'll have the option of having that. And then also um, on Sabbath, tomorrow afternoon our seminar is going to touch on different tips, keys to success in the whole process of studying with a person and leading them to Christ. Some things that I've found and that my colleagues have found over the years are very beneficial in helping to enhance your success. So let's pray together and we'll dismiss. Father in heaven, we are again so thankful for your holy Sabbath that is coming. We thank you for the preparation day. Father, prepare our hearts as we seek to prepare. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the leading of your Holy Spirit. We pray a special blessing on the outreach today that you would lead us to the people who, who need you the most. And Father, we just, I want to pray that you especially use each and every one in this seminar today as they seek to use their talents in winning souls. Help them to look to your strength and 
Father, bring a mighty harvest through them. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.